Hello, I'm Sasha. And I'm Jay. And this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast where we invite a guest to talk about something they feel very passionate about that maybe the rest of the world hates. Well, today we have a very special episode where we're doing it the other way, meaning we've got a guest talking about something or someone that they passionately hate and the rest of the world pretty much loves. For the most part. For the most part. <laughs> we got a very special guest returning to our studio. He is a co-author of The Show Won't Go On, The Most Shocking, Bizarre, and Historic Deaths of Performers on Stage. A very cool book that I got a chance to read and I loved it and I highly recommend to everyone. He is also a television producer who worked on all kinds of cool TV shows. <laughs> and he also wrote another book called Tabloid Baby. I mean, you can talk about this guy all day. He is Bert Kearns. Welcome, Bert. Thank you for having me from my isolation here. Same here, same here. Bert, what are you here to talk about? Or whom are you here to talk about? Well, I don't know if I should mention his name, but I'm here to talk about a bald-headed, four-eyed, <laughs> fucking prick. <laughs> you just described millions of people, but uh, <laughs> can we narrow it down? Uh, which, which bald, four-eyed, <laughs> fucking prick do you refer to? This is an assless, poor-dressing bald-headed, arrogant prick who lives in my town, who I have to occasionally see, who has driven me to distraction for 35 years. Wow, 35 years. Fuck him. <laughs> okay, and who is this prick? I mean, we're all dying to know, even though we've read the title of the podcast. <laughs> uh, Larry David. Oh, Larry oh, David, LD. Larry, the beloved Larry David. Oh. <laughs> America's sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 Bert, when you say that he lives in your town, doesn't he live on your block or like very close to you? Well, no, he lives on the other side of town. I, I live in Pacific Palisades, California, and okay. so does Larry David. And he actually shoots a lot of his, um, his show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, here in town because he's, he's too fucking lazy to, to leave town to shoot it. So he just takes his friends and doesn't even bother writing a script and just kind of improvises around town. I like it. I, I dig his show. I, I, I that's, really enjoy That's controversy right there, right? Because you love the show, the show that was just in its 10th season, maybe one of the best Kirby Enthusiasm seasons of all time. But then you hate the man behind the art, right? I mean, what a dilemma. Yeah, you know, the, the, the Spite store that uh, Myla Kunis had is right in the center of our town here. Mila, spite. because Ju Ludmila is her full name. It's a Russian name. Her Mila, name sorry. Mila. Mila Kunis. <laughs> <laughs> so, <coughs> Mila Kunis, yes. Her spite store was right in the center of town next to the Gelsons that, that, that I go to all the time. And yeah. to explain spite store for those who haven't seen season 10, it's going to be probably a few spoilers here for Kirby Enthusiasm. So if you want to pause and go watch the entire season and come back, I actually advise you to do it because it's a great season. But the spite store is something that's a big plot point of season 10 where Larry buys a coffee shop just to piss off 
the neighbor, like who, a guy who owns a competing coffee shop, right next door to the other store. So it's a store that's that, that's that's mission is not to be profitable necessarily. It's just to put the other store out of business, and and ostensibly he would then close it after he 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 would put the, the Mocha Joe's coffee shop out of business. But Bert, so yeah, I like so he actually shoots at his house, right? Like uh, like, like at his actual house in the Palisades. I think he does. I know he shoots at actual locations. I don't know if if he uses his house as the uh, as the setting, but they are houses in the Palisades and Brentwood. In that area i wouldn't be surprised if he uses his actual house because i know for a fact he uses his actual office at uh, you know lantana that that uh that cluster of office buildings um kind of on the edge of santa monica are you familiar with lantana I am yes familiar. yeah over on, on olympic yes yeah yeah so he he's had I, i've you know worked on shows where offices have been out of there and and uh you, you always see larry david or you see his parking spot like he definitely is based out of there and it's a very distinctive office building so when, whenever they cut to his office i mean they, when they cut to inside of his office typically on a television show you'd build that on a sound stage or something or you'd use a production friendly space but they're literally filming in his actual office yeah uh it's it's it's, it's pretty distinct and obvious so so yeah yeah i wonder if he does that for realism or whether he's just like uh, like you say kind of lazy and just uh, <laughs> just doesn't want to travel too far uh, uh, or be inconvenienced by his own show. And I can tell you when I worked at Lantana briefly years ago, I was like, I mean, I was always have been in love with Larry David. I saw the parking spot and it said Larry David. And like, I remember like this feeling of like joy and taking picture of that. So that's <laughs> that's how much of a fangirl I am. And I am fascinated because in some ways, Bert, aren't you like a little bit similar to Larry David in some ways? You live in the same fancy ass town in Los Angeles. You, I mean, you're probably like a generation younger than him, right? Yes, little things annoy me. <laughs> little <laughs> things annoy you. As did this. <laughs> How about Bert, why don't you tell us why? Because this obviously, you, your dislike or hatred of this guy stems from... This from, is personal. This is very personal. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Let's get way back. Let, let, let's hear it. Let's hear it. What was the first time you, you encountered Larry the David? The first time I encountered Larry David was when he was a uh, character on the uh, show Fridays, the Saturday Night Live ripoff. He, was, uh, right. he wasn't the Larry David we know now, the lanky, bald-headed, white-haired guy. He had dark, frizzy hair, and he was a morose prick back then. But he's also known as a comedian who would go on stage, and if one person in the audience bothered him or didn't laugh at his joke, he'd throw the microphone down and, and walk off the stage. You know, some, right. some comedians are known for, for walking a house, making everybody else walk out. He would walk out all the time. I didn't know that about him when I first knew him. This goes back to the 80s. I used to work uh, as a producer for WNBC-TV News, News 4 New York at 30 Rock. And it was, it was a great setup there. Our studio... Uh, studio 6B was right across the hall from Studio 6A, David Letterman's studio. And Letterman would always walk over with his cameraman and do remotes with Al Roker, our weatherman, and have a lot of fun back and forth. And Saturday Night Live was on the eighth floor. Saturday Night Live was in the big studio there. And whenever they did rehearsals, they would pipe the show through all of 30 Rock. And we can kind of watch it in the newsroom. And if there was a great musical guest on, like Keith Richards or somebody on a Thursday morning, we'd walk down and just go right into the set and you know, watch him do his, his music. Well, Larry David was a writer on Saturday Night Live in the mid-'80s. I had a friend who uh, was an assistant director on the show. And they dated. So now let me go back a little bit. Back in the 80s. Everybody go research who was the assistant director <laughs> at SNL in the mid-80s. You're probably going to zone in on a few people and you yeah. can make some conclusions there. 
All right, so this was the 80s in New York City, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Worked the 11 o'clock news, and at night we'd go to a place down in Tribeca called the Odeon. I don't know if you ever heard of that. There was a movie called Bright Lights, Big City with Michael J. Fox based on the Jay McInerney yeah. novel about you know cocaine and New York and the art scene and the dating scene, and the Odeon played a part in the book and in the movie as well. But we'd go there every Friday night, and this was like, you know, there'd be Warhol there, Basquiat would be there. The cast of Saturday Night Live would hang out there. And we would meet every, every Friday night. Big tables. Sometimes there'd be 10 of us, sometimes more. Sometimes there'd be six of us. All different people from various um, media in New York. Some, you know, reporters from local news, might be some producers, might be an artist. We'd all hang out and we would sit and drink and eat late Friday nights at the Odeon. It was sort of like the Algonquin Round Table of the 40s, except nobody said anything witty and nobody was, was funny, <laughs> we were, nobody was smart. So one evening, my friend, Kiki Kazanis, brought along her date. Oh, wow, we're just dropping names now. We, we, we're done with We're, the, we're yeah. deep in, the, <laughs> no holds barred now. Kiki Kazanis. So they sat down <laughs> at the table, came, ready to order, and her date was Larry. And Larry sat there and he had his head down, looked at his feet, looked at the floor, we said, Larry, how you doing? Very nice to meet you. Yeah. So anyway, uh, how are you doing? What are you, what are you working on now? Eh. And basically, for the entire meal, for the entire evening, Larry David sat and stared at the floor and ignored us. He ignored everyone at the table. We would talk to him. We'd, we'd try to bring him in the conversation. He would ignore us, just look, look down at the floor. How did it feel? Like there's different ways you can describe a person who's ignoring you. Are they sad in their little own world? Are they like thinking about something else far away? Is he petulant? He was obnoxiously not (laughs) giving a shit about anyone at the table that were not worth his time. So, okay. so it wasn't that he was distracted or depressed uh, oh, no. or, 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 depressed. or in his own world. He was sort of actively being a dick, like, he, like trying to show he, you how much he didn't like you. He was actively being a prick for no reason. <laughs> and we were being nice to him. And see, Kiki would invite us to see Saturday Night Live tapings every, every week. And we often would turn her down because the show was, was pretty lame. Now nah, we don't want to see that. But we'd go to the show, and then we'd also get invited to the after parties. After every, every, after every show at Saturday Night Live, they would have a party at a different uh, restaurant or club late into the night. And whenever you'd go, you'd go, to, go to one of the parties, Larry David would be sitting there on a stool in the corner by himself, staring at the floor. And he'd say, hi, Larry. And he'd ignore you. If I'd see him in the hallway at NBC, hey, how you doing? He'd ignore me. We're talking like late 30s, like 40s, Larry David? How, he, how he was, Well, he? He, I think he was about 45 or 42 when he got Seinfeld okay. around 1989. This was right before Seinfeld. Oh. So right around, this is like 85 to 88, right right in that area. And now, right? Bert, th- this is, you mentioned Fridays before, which I'm lightly familiar with. That Wasn't Michael Richards on Fridays? Michael Richards was on Fridays. Uh, was it Melanie Chartoff? I, That's the famous show where uh, Andy Kaufman came, was, was on the show. And in the middle of a scene that they were doing, he just said, I don't want to do this scene anymore. Forget it. I'm going to walk out on the scene. And Michael Richards took it seriously, and they started fighting. And really, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was set up. Uh, Jack Burns, the producer, had set it up in advance with Andy Kaufman, but he didn't tell the other actors. And that was like the most 
famous uh, episode of Fridays where everything went wrong. I didn't know that Larry David was on it though. I guess that's, I would assume that's where he met Michael Richards, with, yeah. who's later, you know, Kramer and Seinfeld. I wonder if that's where they, they'd be, they befriended each other if they were around the same show. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a funny thing. I, I was doing some research and found some, on, on another topic and found an ad from a newspaper of Fridays. And it was one of these things where each of the characters was, their faces were in different little boxes and each one was making a funny face. Except for Larry David. He was just looking down morosely. He's like, I'm not making a funny face. Uh, in terms of Fridays, now, was Fridays being made during the Dick Ebersol years of SNL? I think Fridays came on before Ebersol, before Dumanian. I think it was around 1978. Okay. Oh, so, so it was very early. See, I, I was wondering if he, Larry was on Fridays during the Ebersol years, and then when Lorne Michaels took over SN, took back SNL, th that's when he got hired for SNL. But but I got my time frames a little off, so it's about off by about five six years. Yeah, he was actually working during the Ebersol years because that was the the year that they brought oh. in Christopher Guest and I believe Billy Crystal and Harry Shearer. They brought in all these these like older yeah, Joe stars Piscopo. for a uh, for for a season. So yeah, he he worked around that time. Okay, so he didn't work on the Lorne Michaels year because because the, the other the other famous story from Larry David on SNL is that they eventually turned into a Seinfeld episode, right? Where he, he was fired or he said he quit or was fired at the same time. And then on a Friday and he came back in to work on a Monday as if nothing had happened. And, and, they, and yes. they were like, what's going on? You, you quit or you got fired. And he's like, no, I didn't. And, and just kind of pretended like he, you know, which he, which he obviously translated into a, a George Costanza story on Seinfeld. And they let him stay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Apparently. That See, that's another thing. I, I missed out on all of Seinfeld because of my hatred for Larry. David, I've never seen a Seinfeld episode. What? You haven't seen a wow. single episode of Seinfeld? No. Because there's no more joyous time in my life than the time when I did a little marathon of Seinfeld for the first time in my life when I lived in New York. That was before you even knew who Larry David was, right? Because when I met you during that time, you were very obsessed with Seinfeld. And uh, and I, I think I introduced you to Larry David, right? Not uh, personally. I wish you not did. Not personally. You would have lost me to him probably if you did. <laughs> well, Bert, so was that it? Was that your, your were there other interactions besides that really uncomfortable uh, dinner? Well, that, uh, was, that, was, that was the first. Yes, it, it was an first. uncomfortable <laughs> dinner followed by other times going to the Saturday Night Live after parties and seeing him and maybe, you know, saying hi and just being ignored again. So... I moved out to Los Angeles in 1990. Seinfeld had just begun its run, I believe, in 1989. So I was out here, and I was working, and probably that's why I didn't, you know, get home at eight o'clock at night to see a to see the television show, but never watched it. 1994, and still I had this hatred for Larry David. 1994, I move up to a, a street called off Doheny above Sunset Boulevard, the area called the Bird Streets in, in West Hollywood. I'm walking my dog. And who lives two streets above me? Jerry mm -hmm. Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. Now, do we like, do, by we, I mean you, do you like Jerry Seinfeld? I, agnostic with Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, because the Larry no, David no connection which was just, just too much. God and Jerry Seinfeld, we're agnostic. Right. So, so I, I, would, <laughs> I would walk my dog past Jerry Seinfeld's house, and basically it was built into a hill, and all you could see was the garage. He had a huge two-car garage. Doors, doors were always open. Beautiful Spanish tile floors with people mm. working on his Porsches. Like it was like oh. a, his living room was his garage because <laughs> he loved it. And he'd always be driving a different Porsche every day. So that got me. And then when I found out that they sold Seinfeld into syndication and they made billions of dollars, that got me, that got me more upset and more angry. But not curious enough to watch an episode of Seinfeld. No. The, the closest I got, I was in New York City 
I was I don't remember why I was there. I think I was doing some kind of promotion. I think for my first book, it was in New York City, and it was the last episode of Jerry Seinfeld of the Seinfeld show was airing, mm. and New York was kind of going crazy. It's a beautiful day in Manhattan, and I actually I happened to be walking up Broadway past the Soup Nazis store. And mm. uh, there was, you know, television trucks outside. It was a real big deal. You know the reference, though. But that morning, mm-hmm. that morning, I get up in my hotel room, and Steve Dunleavy, who's a great tabloid reporter, he passed away last year, had left a note under my hotel room door, and it said, Frank Sinatra died today. Mm-hmm. So I always associate Seinfeld and Larry David with the death of Frank Sinatra. Now, do we think, and also you were the executive producer behind Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Now, do we think that the reason Sinatra died has something to do with Larry David? That's right. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Larry David. Is there a connection? Yeah. Qui bono, follow the money. Yeah. Well, speaking of benefits. (laughs) You know, speaking of bono, actually, you know, uh, Chaz Bono appears in this latest episode of... uh, of of uh, curb your enthusiasm of curb the latest uh, season and uh, I always thought that the death of Sonny Bono was done in order to test out to see how well they could accommodate huge crowds for Frank Sinatra's funeral in Palm Springs because Sonny had been the mayor of Palm Springs. Did that make sense? Mm. <laughs> kind of. So so you think so Sonny Bono died in order to test out the funeral arrangements for in Palm Springs <laughs> for Frank, for Frank Sinatra. Sinatra's yeah. future funeral. I do believe actually that's, that that Sonny <laughs> right. Bono was assassinated. That's a whole other story. Well, yeah. I mean, what are you going to tell me? Like all those trees were actual trees. I mean, one of them was. <laughs> well, he no, he allegedly. Everybody thinks of Sonny Bono, the funny comic little character, you know, going off and and skiing into a tree and and dying, but. Uh, mm. But actually, Sonny Bono was the Republican Party's number one fundraiser. He was the closest politician to Newt Gingrich at the time. And he also was fighting a lot of corporations over the pollution of the Salton Sea Lake down by Palm Springs. Mm. Sonny Bono went off skiing, and they, nobody saw him for eight hours. They mm. found him by a tree with some wounds to his head. Some say those wounds don't connect with him hitting the tree. But he, nobody saw him ski into a tree. He went missing, mm. and then they found him. I've seen that James Bond movie before with the with the assassins on the skis. Well, you heard it here first. We just Shane, broke the story. Shut up, I love it. We are switching gears here. <laughs> we are turning in the news outlet and uh, come here to get your favorite uh, conspiracy theories. And there's a yeah. Larry, Larry David connection there with, uh, with, with Chaz. I mean, do you think that Larry had something to do with the murder of Sonny Bono and the eventual payback maybe chaz bono found out dug dug up the dirt and then said hey you either put me in in your show you know send me some of those sweet residual checks you know um or i go public with the story of how you killed my father i think that's how conspiracy theories begin by taking those sort of facts putting them together and seeing where they add up you know yeah synchronicity and uh, juxtaposition of facts uh, equals absolute truth um so so bert I want to keep on going back because because are you are you are you telling me that you have such a deep seated hatred for this guy just because of one dinner that you had, you know what like <laughs> like thirty forty years ago, in in in, in 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 New York where he was just kind of a dick or or did he actually did you ever have like a an interaction was he was he was he directly rude or mean to you and yes way, he was directly rude and mean to me at at that dinner 
Yes, and I never forgot yeah. it. And but, but 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 he never he never did anything personal to you. That like, was personal. It seems like he was, like he was rude to very, the whole table. That was very very personal. Yeah. To me, for him to have treated me and my friends so rudely, an encounter like that. You have an encounter with someone, you don't ever forget it. And what did it do? It it, it took away a piece of pop culture from me. And I'm I'm a pop culture expert and I, I i missed out on seinfeld because of him the way he treated me that night now this is not irreversible i mean seinfeld is still out there like <laughs> yeah. it's to be it, like you can access it and watch it at least at one like the yeah. one episode with soup nazi which you clearly know about soup, the soup nazi so why not why not just give it a just give it a watch yeah i mean i mean even the, the dead sea scrolls are are you know published i mean you know you, you can you can go you can see seinfeld it's possible now, i enjoyed veep. Give it I, I liked veep i liked the with, oh, with the julia louis drive so i liked veep uh and I really enjoy Curb Your Enthusiasm. I got to say, I, I like the show. I watched Seinfeld when I was growing up, and, and I really enjoyed it. I never f once knew who Larry David was. I knew it was Jerry. So I knew the cast, and I assumed that there are some producers involved, you know, in, in making the show. But 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 I never once thought of the name Larry David. Um, never once like you know uh, recognized it in the credits. And then I only came to know him as the Seinfeld guy after Curb Your Enthusiasm. So. So, so I know that you you knew this guy, so you you had kind of um, a grudge against, to hold against him for Seinfeld. But then, how do you come upon watching Curb? Like, if you're going to avoid this show that he's not actually on, and then you watch a show where he's the star of the show, the star how, of it, how, and how I mean, it's infused. This is like an infusion. It's like a cucumber water infusion <laughs> of like Larry David parts. That show, very bizarre, I mean <laughs> very bizarre. When I first moved here, I go down. I'm downtown, walking on Sunset Boulevard, and there's this little Prius driving around in circles around the block and in the front driving it is larry david there's a camera truck following him but in the back of the prius is larry charles the the, the director with all the hair and everything and he's in yeah. the back and i'm watching larry david film curb your enthusiasm in my town and i'm like what what is he doing here and then i watch the show and i enjoyed the show i like I, I think it's a brilliant brilliant show so, so you're saying you gave it a chance because you recognized the locations he was shooting in and you wanted to see your neighborhood on film? Or? <laughs> That's part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I matured a bit, got a, got a bit older. and Not you know, enough to watch Seinfeld, surely. Had, yeah, yeah. had kids. <laughs> and, what know. about Richard Lewis? You mentioned that you f know the guy? <laughs> I, did, I did have a, uh, um, a, a brief friendship with Richard Lewis back in the early 1990s. He was uh, best friends with uh, Marv Albert, the sportscaster, who was a good friend of mine. I worked with Marv when I worked at NBC and, uh, and Marv's wife and uh, met Richard out, out here in L.A. during, I think it was one of his darker, darker times. But now, uh, interestingly enough, you mentioned our book, um, The Show Won't Go On. Richard uh, did a blurb for it. He's, he, he did a blurb on the cover of the book for us. He's, a good, he's good friends with my co-author, Jeff nice. Abraham. I I, I really like Richard Lewis. Sasha uh, seems to be creeped yeah, out by him. The reason I ask so directly, I cannot like I cannot watch him. Like I I he I, upsets I, you. Like he whenever he's on screen, me. she gets upset. There, it's he's belongs to this like small number of things that like I just cannot observe in like in life, including like celery, like celery and those things that at the gas stations they 
when the air blows they, they oh, go right, like yeah. this like yeah the flappy stick men thing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and he goes like directly into that pantheon like well, that's interesting because he was always one of my favorite comedians from this from the 1970s on i found richard lewis is very influential to me as a matter of fact his neurosis his darkness his whole idea of life is such a nightmare what a nightmare i'm in hell <laughs> it just he was I found him very influ- influential and great. And it's funny, he hated Larry, Larry David as well. He grew up most of his life hating Larry wow. David. And then Hot found, take. You heard it here first. And then found out that they were born, I believe, the same day in the same hospital. Yeah, and they went to the same summer, summer camp, camp, I believe, They went to right? summer yeah. camp together. Yeah, that yeah, was the yeah. story. Of this. And then I read, I read in the New York Times, you know, this week, you know, Larry David is, you know, Mr. Quarantine. Uh, they did a, a, Maureen Dow did a big article, an interview with him about the quarantine. And... I believe she asked him whether he deliberately focused the camera on Richard Lewis's growing bald spot throughout this season to get back at him for having such great hair. And he sort of said, well, I didn't really do it on purpose. Once I saw it there, I didn't change the camera shot. I want everybody to see that he's going bald like I am. He was basically saying, well, I didn't compose the shot to focus on his bald spot, but I didn't do anything to change it once I saw it. Uh, Now, the very important question, of course, is we're talking about that infamous dinner in the mid-80s that, you know, caused you to just develop such hatred for Larry David. And again, Bert is not like a angry person. Like, he's a very, like, you're a very nice guy. So it's very funny for me to see you so pissed off about Larry David. So that dinner... Was Larry? You said Larry had a full head of hair, right? Well, no, it wasn't a f- no, no, it wasn't full head. He was still a bald headed prick, but it was like uh-huh. it, he had it up. You know, he had it all combed over and up and frizzed out. It was it was sort of right. black and gray and frizzy, yeah. and he still had the bald pate there. And yeah. I'm guessing your hair was like having like the like the best time of its life, right? Because you re- have a nice hair. Yeah, you were probably in a hair renaissance at that point. Very interesting. 1987, <laughs> NBC, uh, our union went on strike at NBC, and we were on strike for about six or eight months, and it was pretty heavy duty. And I shaved my head to so I could scare people on the picket line. So I may have had even I may have had short hair then, and I kind of grew it out again when I moved oh. moved west. But isn't mm. that interesting? Yeah, maybe, well, see, I I, I want to know why, if you have a, if a suspicion, if you don't know for sure, like, why do you think he was being a dick to you? Like, w- was it because of you were in different sectors of the TV business? Like, did, was it yeah, something was a a personal? He was a dick. He was, he was known, he was known as, as, as a dick back then. A rude prick. And I never forgot it. Isn't that interesting? He did it in a way that wasn't, you know, he wasn't being uncomfortable. He was being like, I don't, I don't. I don't even. I, I. I don't deign to answer your question or even say hello to you. That was what you know. Yeah. Yeah. You're just a miserable jerk of a. It person. was. Un, I, it was unparalleled rudeness that I've never encountered by a human being until I watched the first episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then and then I saw it. And people say, "Oh, th- it's a, it's an extreme version of Larry. Larry would never insult anyone." No, now he wouldn't, because you know he's been through he's he's been through a marriage. I mean, he was he was married at the time when he first came out here to Lori David. I don't know if you remember his wife Lori. She wound up she left him. She wound up going off with Cheryl Crow on some environmental tour where they were telling people to only use one roll, one sheet of toilet paper at a time, which would would have paid off now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if but, we'd only taken her advice, we'd all have five th- rolls of toilet paper. But I think now he's he's much more comfortable in his own skin. 
uh, you know, having a billion dollars in the bank is, is pretty good reason. He He's able to do a, a television series when he wants to. I mean, when you think about it, Curb started in, in like 1999, 2000. It's been on for 20 years. He's done 10 seasons over, over 20 years. I mean, before The Sopranos were on, I believe he was doing Curb, which is very interesting that he's managed to keep up like that. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that this evolution of Larry David, though, that happened, like where there's no way those social interactions were easy to him, you know, like in his whatever 30s to go out to dinner and act like a dick and probably get a lot of like bad vibes from people. But he managed to like use it to further his career even after Seinfeld, right? Like like he made right. Curb about that. And then I think like he almost like forced the whole world to love that heightened that fortissimo version of him. Like he forced the world to like him and find it laughable and in endearing. And now he is like being forgiven for all that. Like when he is in conversation with a journalist being interviewed, like, and I, I guess his personality has like became sweeter. Like he's sweetened with age. He's 72 or something now, but it's still interesting how like he chose to like be who he is, but also like make like comedy and art out of it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He, he lived it for all those years and now he's cashing in on it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's his brand, really. Like, like being being a, a petty dick is he's created a brand out of it. I mean, Seinfeld is about you know what three or four people that are all jerks that are shallow, horrible people. Um, Curb your enthusiasm is about Larry David being a, kind of a dick and saying the things that you wish you could say. Uh, you know, when you're mad at somebody or, or when you're outraged. So he he's he has kind of channeled what you found distasteful at dinner so many years ago he's channeled that and be, and turned that into an industry of sorts which is interesting yeah and he's all, they, they've also he and he and seinfeld together have also channeled this eliteness that they both have now you know i i, I enjoy watching the comedians in cars getting coffee occasionally but often it's just it's like we're so special we're so we're rich i don't care i care about anybody else you and I, like, for instance, David Letterman, we're so above the rest of the world. We'll drive around in our car and look down at people. People don't understand how great it is to be you know, rich and funny like we are. There's a, an eliteness that I, I don't like about that Seinfeld show. And also Larry David's show is, is about rich old people. I mean, the one thing I didn't dig that much about this season is the emphasis he had on sex and, and, and having, wanting to have sex with women and talking about women's magic vaginas and everything else. When he's an old man, like 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 uh, Bernie Sanders, who you know who, who he portrays on SNL, and it's like this elderly sex through the whole show, which I did I just wasn't getting. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have like a like an obsession with like Me Too and you know the things that are in the news right, now, like the Me Too movement, yeah, sure. and tra transgender people. I mean, like like those are themes that have popped up a lot on on at least th this season of Curb. And uh, yeah, I mean, there 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 is kind of a little bit of a not misogynism, but maybe more chauvinism, uh, chauvinistic element. Like, like he's like an enlightened chauvinist of sorts, where he's he he's he's taking what's going on in the news and and trying to change himself, but at the same time he wants to kind of wink and say like, isn't this all crazy? It wasn't it better how it used to be? Thank I mean, you both of you for mansplaining this to me. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Also, I mean, <laughs> look look at that article in the New York Times uh, this week. Where oh, yeah. he's he's ready to cut off all social contact with anyone who hoards toilet paper, but Woody Allen, oh, he's to, he's totally innocent for reading that book. Oh, you read the book, and Woody Allen, I back him one hundred percent. It was like, a little interesting there, the, how the, he was like, I don't know, is he really a bad guy? Well, well, well because wait, Woody wait, Allen wait. gave him a, gave him a starring role in a movie, 
and yeah. and he also copies Woody Allen's dress style now. That's another thing. Yeah, too. he he is kind of his persona is, is very Woody Allen esque, and he's obviously heavily influenced by him probably as a stand up and as a you know like a, a screenwriter and as a as a filmmaker so to speak. But um, but it w- it was a little weird that he went out of his way to say, hey, you, you read his book, you read his autobiography, and and you're just like this guy product can't placement. be guilty. It was like product placement. Yeah, like but but just the fact that like yeah like if I read like Hitler's autobiography, I, like I'd probably I might be convinced that he was a good guy too but like that doesn't mean he was a good guy well, uh you know if you're writing an autobiography you're you're, you're gonna you're biased to make yourself look good i would think so i mean i, I don't know that i thought that was a little odd that he went out of his way to, to praise woody allen interesting <clears throat> going back to that whole the woody allen scandal when he was uh having that big fight with mia farrow when he was first being accused of this he was he went on he went on his way and continued making a movie in new york city while this whole thing was going on and woody yeah. allen was always like above the media, wouldn't talk to the, to the press about anything. But his set photographer, I don't remember his first name, his name is Hamill. He was the brother of Pete Hamill, the journalist, and the brother of Joe Hamill, who was a producer with us when we were at Hard Copy and uh, at A Current Affair. And his, his brother would arrange for our cameras to be outside Woody's trailer when at a certain time when Woody would walk out of the trailer and then come and ans- answer a question or two, pretending that he was being uh, ambushed. When actually it was all set up. <laughs> That's funny. Now, if we mention Curb Your Enthusiasm, okay. I for the first time saw Curb posters like when I came to New York in 2000. Like, does it make sense the timeline? I don't remember the. Is that 2000? That's about, that's about when it came out. About when yeah. it came yeah. out, yeah. Yeah, so there were like posters, and it probably said HBO in the bottom. I didn't know what HBO was, so all I saw was like a poster for like a uh, like a not like you know not a great looking older dude and. <laughs> it just said like Kirby enthusiasm and I was like I have no idea what they're talking about so I remember just being confused for years and then later when I discovered what you know Jay introduced me to Curb I immediately loved it and I always thought like Larry David and I think that's the reason why a lot of people love this show is that they feel like there's a Larry David inside them like they 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 want to be doing what Larry David gets to do in the show like tell the, this person how much they don't like them for this or that sure. reason, which is exactly what he Yeah, does. like people always describe that they have a, a Larry David moment. Like, oh, I had a Larry David moment at the, I had a curb moment at the supermarket where you got caught in some sort of situation and you, you ended up looking like a jerk and, or, or, or you, you know, you tied yourself up in, in some kind of like a silly debacle, but there was, it was similar to, to, to Curb Enthusiasm. Now, be, be, before, before we go on, I should probably tell, I have one Larry David story, Bert. So, I used to shoot this show called uh, Ricky Gervais Meets, dot, dot, dot. So then the, the premise of the show is that Ricky Gervais would meet one of his comedy heroes that probably the most famous one we ever did was with Gary Shandling, which is uh, which has kind of become like a viral legend uh, of an episode because of how, how what a debacle it turned into. But um, but the episode we did with Larry David um, is a very simple show. We just let Rick, Ricky Gervais would just kind of sit down and hang out with one of his comedic heroes and they talk about comedy. And um, I was very excited being a big Larry David fan. We, we went in, it was a two camera shoot and and Ricky and Larry are sitting on the couch uh, uh, in in Larry's office in Le- at Lantana, his, his <laughs> the offices where they shoot uh, the show at, and um, and and we sat down and and 
you know, it was kind of like a doc style show. So, so it wasn't like on tripod or anything. It was all handheld. And so, you know, when they sat down on the couch, then I would just, you know, the other cameraman and I would, would crouch down and kind of go into like a, like a, not sitting on our knees, but kind of crouch down in like a Buddha crouch type of position with the cameras on our shoulder. And Larry, as soon as we did that, you know, and, and we're trying to be flying the wall and just capture what they're saying, you know, he, he just keeps on looking at me and he stop he, he just stops what he's saying and stares at me. And I'm like, Oh shit, what the, what the hell's going on? Cause he looks really upset. And, 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 and you know, he, he, he started yelling at me. He's like, he's like, you got, he's like, you can't, you can't crouch like that. He's like, you're going to hurt your knees. And, and, I, and I'm just kind of, you know, try, I'm just kind of waving my hand, just trying not to say anything, just be like, don't worry, don't worry. I'm, I'm fine. And, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't shut up about it. He, he, he actually wouldn't continue filming the show in, until I sat down on like a box. Someone got an Apple box for me, but it just bothered him so much to see me to just to, to just to, to sense me outside of his periphery, you know, crouching and not sitting. And so, and so, but I thought it was, I thought it was very funny. I, I you know, cause I was just thinking like, Oh my God, it's like I'm in an episode of curb right now. And he's yelling at me. And then, then shortly thereafter, one of the other cameramen, you know, we're wearing walkie talkies and we have these little surveillance headsets and we're, we're, you know, we typically whisper to each other, like, okay, I'm on the wide shot. Now you get the close up and we're communicating, you know, whispering into our, into our walkie talkie as we're filming. And the other cameraman, Ben Gamble, he 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 started shout out. yeah shout out to Ben Gamble he started whispering in in, in his in his walkie and, and again Larry's mid conversation he just stops and just stares at him and starts yelling at Ben. He goes, what are you like? What's wrong with you? Why would you start talking? We're we're sitting here talking like he, he starts berating him and again. Like he may have been kind of doing a bit, but I think it was it was ninety percent not bit and ten percent bit what, what he was doing with us, and and so he kind of berated the other cameraman, and uh, Ben felt terrible afterwards. But I kind of explained to him. I think he was just you know that's just how he is, or don't take it personally. But I have a question: When Larry gets <clears throat> mad in real life, Jay, like does he act the same way yes. where he's like on television? Because that madness is not very offensive. Like that madness is more like I am just screaming and I'm just you know like he's not doing the. Th- thing where you're like this person is going to kill me now he's doing the thing of like i'm losing my shit but it's fun it, it's hard to say because if i didn't know larry david and curb your enthusiasm so well i may have thought he was actually mad but the fact that i mean he was totally this he's like dressed the same as how he dresses on curb i mean for all it, like i said it, it was surreal because it felt like i was an, on an episode of his show and so if, if it had been someone else saying the same things i think it, it you would be feel upset or like you feel like you're being berated but because it was larry david and he was doing it in his same tone of voice that he does on the show it felt like you were kind of in like in a in a comedy bit with him or something even if you weren't um so so i still to this day don't know if he was actually mad at us or not but but who who knows i'm sure he doesn't remember mad or not he was right because years later jay had a knee surgery (laughs) so how about that yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that that is that is true. What can I say? I don't. I I cannot do anything if I see somebody sitting on the edge of like a balcony or some shit like that, where I I imagine that they can flip over and fall down. You know. Oh, like I'm totally afraid of balconies. Whenever we're in a hotel, if we the, with the kids, I say nobody go on the balcony. Nobody open that sliding door, even if we're on the second floor. That's. I, oh yeah. yeah. So I, I I understand that feeling of like okay I I, I, I this person is about to hurt themselves the mm. same way I cannot watch improv shows where people get like too physical to the point where like 
they just make you uncomfortable because they're lifting each other and like almost throwing each other across stage. I'm like, that's not funny anymore. Like everybody in the audience is uncomfortable. So, I mean, if this is like really how he was experiencing that moment of like, this guy's about to break his knee. I, <laughs> I don't, you know, like I don't, that particular moment doesn't upset me. Like I think he did it in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I, I was totally fine and he was just being a neurotic psycho, I mm -hmm. think, you know, but uh, but <laughs> but regardless, Bert, I have a question for you. So let, let's, let's, I want to propose a hypothetical so uh, uh, Sasha and I invite you to dinner. Uh, we all go to dinner and there's a surprise. There's no COVID-19 <laughs> the, the, There's there. no COVID-19. So there's already well, big hypothetical. Post-apocalypse. We're all very excited to go to dinner for the first time. Maybe first dinner after the quarantine. Yeah, yeah. How about that? And, 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 and guess who walks in the door? Larry David comes in. He's a good friend of ours. We, we, we didn't tell you this the whole time. He sits down. He hasn't heard this podcast, um, but he sits down and... and uh, you know, I guess it would depend on what his what his attitude was for how you, how you'd react to him. But would you what would you say to him if you first saw him? Would you would you what would you do? Larry, Larry, Larry. So we meet again. You probably don't remember me, but then again, maybe you do. Thirty five years ago, perhaps thirty three years ago, but decades ago. You ruined my Seinfeld experience in advance. I never got to watch a Seinfeld because of you, you miserable, bald-headed, four-eyed prick. Oh. Very and I, good. I would feel good about that. That would be a closure, <laughs> I think, perhaps. And it's interesting because it's like you're complimenting him in the same way. Because you're like, I want to see Seinfeld. It's it's a huge thing that like exists in culture. But because of you, I don't get to see it. It's almost like you bow to him as an artist in the same breath. No, it's, you know, anger. <laughs> wow, what a what a story. But again, it gets back to that one. It gets back to that to that thing where that one encounter, that one night, st stuck with me. <laughs> And every time I saw him, and then when he started invading my life after that, you know, first, first I got, I have Seinfeld in my neighborhood, then I've got him, and I'm seeing him shooting him in my neighborhood, and I realize he lives in my town. And Julie Louis Dreyfus lives in the town. Her husband was oh, my was was one of the baseball coaches favorite. for my my kids' uh, um, little league at the time, and uh, I just keep, you know, Larry David's haunting me for for 35 years. Then a couple of weeks ago, my my brother-in-law, he's, he's from uh, from London. They were visiting us, and he had never heard of Larry David or, or seen Curb. And I showed him an episode, and he was laughing till he was crying. And we wound up basically binging about four seasons. A Curb of, Virgin. Of, of it's Curb, a rarity. Yeah. And then he watched it on, on the on the plane all the way on the, all the way home back to London. And I, I think we're, we're getting him the uh, the entire set of uh, all the seasons of Curb. Well, Bert, I, I think to me, it's a testament of to how kind and good of a person you are deep down, because even though you hate the guy with such a passion, you, you're watching his show, enjoying it, and you're turning other people onto his show. Uh, you know, it, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, you, you could easily be, you know, the, the most anti Larry David guy in the world, but um, but you're not. So it's a testament to to uh, to, to to your goodness, your deep down goodness. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think it's time to to rate to rate LD as a person as a person on the 10 scale oh as a person because oh. I think all of us here are going to say that Curb is like up there with comedy but I want to rate Larry David as a person I'm going to suggest something really crazy I'm going to suggest a scale where there uh, people on the scale are the controversies meaning they are great in what they do but they're a terrible man 
So Woody Allen and Jeffrey Epstein should probably go on that scale as well. Where would be Larry David? Uh, I'm very confused about the metric that we're using. <laughs> oh, you're right. Well, so, so Jeffrey Epstein doesn't have any great art behind him, <laughs> yeah, does he? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, unless he was maybe he was a great CIA agent or something. But, uh, but uh, so this is terrible. Uh, uh, yeah, let's rate Larry David as a person on a scale of zero to ten. Mm-hmm. Um, ten being uh, he's the best person in the world. Zero being he's the worst person in the world. Um, and and just keep it simple between Hitler. Hitler is zero. Jerry Lewis is ten. That that can be your own personal that like way of measuring <laughs> between Hitler and Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Bert, what, what do you think between zero to ten? Rate Larry David as a person. I think there are different levels of Larry David. The Larry David I knew and encountered several times, and and was in his. He was in my orbit. I was in his in the eighties. Was about a two. I would have to say, I think Larry David now has has grown as a person. As you see, and Hitler is one, right? We're talking Hitler is H- one. Hitler zero, I he's, think. He's, he's like zero, zero. So he was about a, he was about a two back then. Now he's probably he's he's done some good things for the environment and politically he's, he's done done some de- decent things. Used his his fame and power for that. So he's probably about a five. Neutral, mm, happy neutral. Not bad. Wow, not bad. pretty pretty he's amazing. Grown. What a what a journey. What about you, Jay? Uh, for me, Larry David as a person, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a. I'm gonna go with an eight. I, I think as an artist, I'd go. I'd go with an, uh, a nine point five. As as a person, I'd go with an eight, and I'd compare that to Jerry Seinfeld, who is a person. I'd go more like a five and a half. Um, so mm-hmm. so I, I, I I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Larry David better person than Jerry Seinfeld. I am going to go and say that Larry David is a 10, but I'm doing it with like, and I'm like full of fear as I say that, because like, (laughs) what if I meet him and he like acts like an asshole to me, then I feel like I would change. But like something in my heart tells me that I like this kind of person. Like I like this kind of prick that he is. So he's a 10 to me as an artist and as a person. I think he's freaking adorable. Wow, this wow. is probably the first time you've ever given anything on your show a 10. Wow, to Larry oh, David. Me, might be, yeah, might be. The <laughs> Shut Up, I Hate It episode of Shut Up, I I'm Love never, It uh, gets me finally really excited, and I give it a 10. That's all right. It's your show, yeah. But I mean, what he did to me, what, what, again. What did he do I, to I, you? I've been to restaurants. <laughs> what did so he do to I you? I have been to restaurants so many times, and I've been in groups of people so many times, and have n- never felt so insulted as by his behavior that night at the Odeon in the 80s. My 10 is very tentative for Larry David. Like it's ready to be like just blown apart. If like I meet him and he's a dick to me, I feel like that 10, like forget it. I never said that. I would argue that if you met Larry David, Sasha, and he was a dick to you, that you might actually enjoy it. Like like the way he was a dick to me, I kind of in- smiled and enjoyed it and thought like, wow, I'm in the club now of the people Larry David's been an asshole to. Like, like there was something weird. I would never say that about anybody else, but there was something kind of like, it was almost like a, like an honor to be, to be, to be chewed out by Larry David or to be. Yeah. Like, you know, he, like, like years ago, I got insulted by Don Rickles and I was like, Oh, insult me some more. That's so great. Right. How did he insult you? Uh, we, I was working at again. I was working at Thirty Rock at NBC, and he was doing some. He was doing an appearance on our uh, Live at Five show in the studio, 
and he, it, it turned into chaos where he was screaming at, I don't know if you remember Jack Cafferty. I think he was on CNN for a while. Jack Cafferty was the host. And it was hilarious. He was insulting Jack and, and running and uh, screaming at Jack. And then when the segment was over, he came up to our newsroom. We have like that newsroom camera where they do the updates. And they were expecting uh, Chuck Scarborough, the anchorman, to give the news update. Instead, it was Don Rickles continuing to scream at uh, at Jack Cafferty. And then I was sitting there, one of the, one of the one of the news writers at the time, and he turned around and like pointed his finger and made fun of me and yelled at me, and it was great. But at the same time, I once was insulted by Captain Kangaroo at the same newsroom <laughs> camera. Do you know Captain Kangaroo, Sasha? I, I, a, I know him, but I do a, not. He was a, he was a kitty host back in the uh, back back when I when I was a kid. And Captain Kangaroo, uh, his name is Bob Keeshan, uh, did a live shot in our newsroom camera. And, and when it was over, I said, you know, Captain, I just, I just want to say you were really a, a giant influence on me when I was growing up. And I just wanted to say thank you. And he's like, yeah, right. And walked away. And I was like, fuck Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> and, oh, my uh, God. And, appara- <laughs> and apparently a lot of people have had that same experience with him. Oh yeah, my God. I, I've heard that he's kind of was a boozer and a, and a real dick is what yeah. I hear. So, hey, if you're a celebrity, y'all, like if you're a celebrity, like don't don't walk around, be a dick to people. Like put a fucking smile on your face, you know? See? Like, yeah. like you because shit gets around like that shit comes back to bite you in the ass. And Larry David wasn't even famous then. He wasn't even a, a, really a celebrity, although he'd been on. He was a comedian. He wasn't a well-known comedian. He'd been he'd been on that Friday show, but he was he was a writer and he was a behind the scenes person. He was no better than any of us. Well, he was in the end, I guess. Yeah, but <laughs> you know who the nicest celebrities I ever met? The two nicest were both Scientologists. Oh, I, I, I Jerry Lewis is Scientologist. No, Tom Cruise <laughs> and John Travolta were both. Were they together in bed hugging each other? No, no, no. I I, I did some work no. with Travolta. We did, we did a, a documentary where he was where we did some some scenes with him and I I had, I had met across from Lantana actually at Olympic we had we had offices there and um, we were we were moving out of our offices and my my partner and I and I had one of these hand trucks moving stuff and and David um, who who is the guy who uh, who who directed uh, Heat and um, uh, Michael Mann Michael Mann so Michael Mann's offices were were across the hall from us and here comes Michael Mann walk coming toward us with Tom Cruise they were they were doing that they did a movie together with I think with Jamie Foxx and Tom and Tom Cruise and, yeah collateral and they were doing they were doing work on the building a lot of construction going on and we stopped and I with a hand truck and I said no you guys go through sorry and I said no no Tom Cruise said no no you go through my friend you're doing a great job here oh. you walk through not me and I was like oh, oh. I'm not one of the construction guys I'm a producer but it's very, <laughs> <was> very nice. <laughs> You're doing a great Tom job Cruise. here. Tom Cruise, one of our favorite subjects on this podcast. He keeps coming back and back. You know, of all the celeb- mega celebrities out there, 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 there's I've never heard Tom Cruise was a dick. Like, like he's he's always managed to to keep good pub- public relations going on. So and um, Travolta too. Are you together? No, and, and Travolta was an, was another time we had. I was doing a documentary about my friend Chris DeRose, who's an animal rights activist in a Sunset Strip. And Chris was an actor back in the um, in the 70s, and he started and had the same manager as John Travolta did at the time. And we were getting some celebrities involved in this documentary and got in touch with John Travolta's people. And he said, for Chris, yeah, I'll do anything. Where do you want to meet? I'll be there. And did a, we sat him and Chris down. And he was just a great guy, really, really nice, very friendly, and did anything we wanted. 
Yeah, Travolta. I shot with Travolta. I actually d- was doing a documentary about Urban Cowboy, that, mm-hmm. that movie right. that he was in, and we he he would only he agreed to an interview, but we had to go to him. And to him meant to go to Clearwater, Florida, into the headquarters, like the main headquarters of Scientology, wow. and and we 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 he, we set up in like in like the the top like tower. It was like a very special Scientology room, and uh, and and he he was he you know he was kind of a pain in the ass in terms of like we had to fly all the way out there and shoot his interview at two in the morning. But but otherwise he was he was a pretty pleasant guy. Very very concerned about his about his his key lights, but uh, other, otherwise right. pretty pretty nice guy. <laughs> my favorite celebrity encounter to wrap this up was twice with at the time my favorite celebrity Jim Jarmusch when I moved to uh, you know. America from Siberia like I like I've written a huge paper on dead man with Johnny Depp like his Jarmusch's film from the 90s and like I was obsessed with Jim Jarmusch like I've seen all his films and everything and so I when I came to America I said I only want to meet Jim Jarmusch in America I don't care like no any other celebrities and like three weeks after I moved to New York I run into him on the street like which he's just walking next to me and I was like hey like I'm a fan of yours. I'm from Siberia. Like you were like the best. I like wrote a paper on you like years ago, and he like got a piece of paper and he wrote like, "Hey Sasha, like nice to meet you. Good work, or whatever." Jim Jarmer. So I still have that piece of paper. Oh, see. And then like four years later, the DGA uh, building, like the DGA at New York in Manhattan, had a screening for Broken Flowers. And there was a line, I literally didn't know that's what was happening, but they had a long line outside and I was just passing by and I was like, what is the line for? And they're like, broken flowers with Jim Jarmusch. And so I wa- like I stood in line and then like, I, I, I don't know how I got in. Like I'm not DJ, I didn't have tickets. I, I, I don't know how I got in, but like I made it in. And then the security guy was like, sit in the back. And I said, I can't see well. And I, don't know why I said that, but I think it made him think that maybe I cannot see well. Like I really need to see close. Like you're disabled. You like, f- I, you I, pretended I, to be a disabled person. I didn't know. I, I literally just said <laughs> I cannot see well because I wanted to see Jim Jarmusch real close. And instead, I, I I I look like I had bad vision back then, but it wasn't like I'm just dis- like God forbid. But I think that's what it came off of. And so he was like, okay, fine. And he put me in the front row facing Jim Jarmusch. And so after the movie Q&A in the movie, I came by and I said, hey, how's it going? He's like, I remember you. You're from Siberia. And I said, yeah. So that was very nice. And I said, hello. Um, So I don't know. He's a great guy, of course. The moral of the story is just be nice. You know why? Life's too short. Just be nice. And wash your hands. And wash your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you'd like to plug? To plug? Well, of course, you know, we're we're now in this period of isolation. It's a great time to read a book. And The Show Won't Go On Absolutely. is available at Amazon and everywhere else online since your bookstores are probably closed. Tell us what kind of heat it got. It got some heat, right? Yeah, it, it did. It's in its second printing, I believe. Maybe it's third right now. Oh, uh, wow. We've got, we got a lot of um, good write-ups for it. It was mentioned as uh, some of the best show business books of the year uh, by a couple of people. I think Playbill and... Uh, a couple of uh, newspapers said it was it was in the top ten, which was great. And we're working on trying to turn it into a TV series, you know, a documentary series. We're working on that now. Great. Well, thank you both so much for coming on, and thank you, Jay Hunter, for your production support and for co-hosting with me today. Always a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for your wonderful music, and thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for artwork, and thank you for listening. Bye.